What does it take to change? What magic enables that peerless wonder that is the transformation of a human heart? And why might one heart undergo this miracle while others do not? This is a story of contrasts, of beauty and ugliness, penitence and hard-heartedness, the pliability of youth and its absence. And it's a story about hope, gained and cherished, but threatening to fly away. I'm Justin Gerhardt. Welcome to Holy Ghost Stories. The flags of Judah whip and wave, enlivened by the wind that blows atop Mount Zion across the walls of its capital, Jerusalem, the city of David. Men and women, children too, smile and point, gazing at the spectacle of hundreds of Levites in shining white linen, swords at their sides, alongside thousands of armored soldiers arrayed in formation, fanned out around the temple. Look at the commanders, says a wide-eyed father, perhaps. His little girl finds one among the troops, and then another. They bear the very weapons of King David. She looks up at him, incredulous. But David has been gone for 300 years. Yes, But we keep his spears and shields and quivers in the temple for days like today, days when kings are made. The man smiles at his daughter and looks back to the temple. Perhaps this king will be different. This is the prayer of many a citizen of Judah. King Ammon was, by any measure, an evil man assassinated weeks ago in the palace after just two years of reign by his own conspiring servants, men who had had enough. Looking down on the gathered throngs, the Temple of Yahweh. Built three centuries ago by Solomon, it is a masterpiece of gold and stone, cedar and onyx, turquoise and silver and bronze, Or better, it was a masterpiece. The years have not been kind to the house of God. Plundered and attacked and plundered again, first by the Egyptians, then the northern kingdom of Israel, and then by Judah's own kings, Ahaz and even Hezekiah, looting the temple's gold overlays to offer as tribute to the fearsome Assyrians beauty created for Yahweh, stripped and whored in faithless alliance. These days, the temple is a shadow of what it once was. But broken down walls and wooden doors that should be gold 
are the least of the temple's woes. Years of idolatry under Manasseh and then Ammon robbed this place of the very spirit of Yahweh. Everyone knows about the male prostitutes housed in the temple complex on hand for Baal's rituals. Rumor has it even that an Asherah pole stands inside, a centerpiece of worship to Baal's consort installed in the temple of Yahweh himself. Yahweh rages and weeps and sighs and hopes and fixes his eyes on Judah's new king. The crowd erupts in cheers and applause as suddenly the sovereign appears. The little girl and her father strain for a glimpse while the king is led to one of the two enormous bronze pillars at the temple's entrance. A hush falls as the high priest raises the crown to the heavens and then places it on the head of the monarch. With one voice, the people cry, Long live the king! And as the trumpeters trumpet and the singers sing and musicians of all kinds fill the air with music, King Josiah, son of Ammon, looks out at his people and waves. He is eight years old. During these early years of his reign, the boy king is more boy than king. Regents surely rule in his stead while Josiah is educated and trained. And it's at some point during this season of schooling that something remarkable happens. The first of many remarkable things to come during Josiah's reign. One day, during his morning lessons, perhaps, the boy looks up from behind his dark curls, his bright eyes shining with curiosity. He's interested in Yahweh. Not as a god, so many people in Judah worship him as a god alongside Canaanite deities like Baal, Anat, and Asherah, but as the god a deity above and apart from these others. Isn't that what some of the stories say? Yahweh introducing himself to Moses from the burning bush, Yahweh laying waste to the Egyptian pantheon in plague after plague? A mischievous teacher, perhaps, come to the kingdom for such a time as this, leans in with righteous subversion. Don't tell the priests, but do you know what Jethro High priest of Midian said to Moses, his son-in-law, after our people crossed the sea. What? Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. Josiah's eyes flash. Did he really say that? He did. And what about my ancestor, King David? Which gods did he worship? Ah. Let me tell you about David. Whether a moment like this or something else, a spark ignites Josiah's little heart. He spends months, years perhaps, wondering, asking, exploring. 
And when he turns 16, he begins seeking the God who set Sinai alight and felled Goliath with a shepherd's stone. He shares his journey with his young wife. They marvel together at the way this God has stayed with his people in spite of all that's happened these last few generations, the way he's refused to loosen his merciful grip. And that very year, when their first child is born, they name him Jehoahaz. Yahweh has held. But as Josiah draws near to God, the spiritual state of his nation becomes increasingly clear. It is a realm of shadow, and something must be done. Twelve years. For a dozen summers, Josiah has been king of Judah, and he is only twenty years old. But twenty is old enough. It's time to lead. Firmly rooted now in Yahweh's preeminence and convicted by his country's decline into religious syncretism, the king of Judah mounts a campaign. The storied Book of the Law has long been lost along with the exact terms of the Hebrews' covenant with Yahweh, but Josiah knows now, surely, the story of the golden calf, and he will not have his people continue acting it out in tragic mimicry. He assembles forces and visits one high place after another, destroying the sites of idol worship, pockmarking the hill country. Like a bloodhound, he sniffs out the Asherah poles scattered throughout the towns and sets the carved wood aflame. The altars to Baal, the bronze bulls, the scaffolded shrines above them, all dispatched with the hammer and axe. These are victories, but every moment of destruction is a heartbreaking revelation. So many people who've left Yahweh behind, who've shunned him from their hearts, who've embraced one God above all, the God of self. And in every town, every village, more people bowing their knees to Baal and the pagan parade of idols. Josiah watches the brazen ones stand in the streets and weep as he pulls down their shrines. How could they... But then, surely, the king's thoughts flick to his own childhood, the images of himself at seven leaving offerings for a knot. What else could he do? It was what was taught to him by his... His eyes dart to a graveyard, the buried remains of their parents and grandparents, the authors of this sordid story. You did this. With all the vigor of youth pulsing through his veins, the king takes the remains of a brazen bull, grabs a sledgehammer, and swings. Again. Again. And again. Josiah does not stop until the idol is reduced to shrapnel and dust. Tears in his eyes, he scoops up the debris and stumbles over to the graves. Have your gods! He flings the scrap across the headstones. May they rot with you. Josiah travels east and north with his company of soldiers, venturing even beyond Judah's border with Israel, carried by a zeal that 
brings hope to the eyes of Yahweh. But even when the gods are fashioned from metal and wood, even when the high places can be marked on or erased from a map, idolatry happens inside, in secret places of the heart. And Josiah's campaign has not reached the interior landscapes of Judah. Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares Yahweh. King Josiah listens, struck by the passion of this prophet. He's new, rumored to have just been called into service, which means he has no ties to the old guard that placated Josiah's father and grandfather. And the whispers about his recent call must be true. The prophet is well, what, maybe 17 years old? Jeremiah, he says his name is. The 21-year-old king is delighted, surely, to be someone's senior. And certainly the two become fast friends with their shared youth, the outsized nature of their callings, and their common love for Yahweh. This will be a good partnership. Do they have fun together as well? The two young men racing or playing games or doing impressions of the advisors, their belly laughs echoing off the palace walls? Probably. There is serious work to be done, though. The king continues his quest to rid the nation's far reaches of the plague of idolatry, and the prophet delivers the word of Yahweh. One year and another, and three more. But when Josiah finally returns home with his men, he encounters a Jerusalem still clutching the darkness, still beguiled by the false promises of Asherah and Baal. So he sets his sights on the temple and assembles a team. Hilkiah peers from beneath his turban, the same one worn that first day in Sinai by Aaron himself, first high priest of Israel. Sir, says an attendant, there is a delegation here from the palace. Hilkiah's eyebrows rise and he makes his way out to meet them. A company of attendants following three officials, Shaphan, the king's secretary, Masaiah, the mayor of Jerusalem, and Joah, the court historian. Hilkiah greets the men and looks past them to the attendants. They are manning a fleet of carts. What's this? This is a new start. The men throw back tarps to reveal chests and jars full of silver coins. So many silver coins. For months now, Collections have been going on throughout Judah and even in Israel, a united effort to refurbish the broken-down temple of Yahweh. Hilkiah beams. Let's get to work. 
the high priest organizes crews of skilled workers, carpenters and builders and stonemasons overseen by four devoted Levites, Jehath, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Hilkiah coordinates the purchase of materials, quarried stones and timber, and assigns other Levites the task of supervising porters and laborers, and even more of Levi's descendants serve as secretaries, officers, and gatekeepers. In no time, the entire Temple Mount buzzes with the sound of hammers and axes, chisels and planes. Or perhaps Josiah ensures they echo the practice Solomon instituted upon its original construction. Any loud work is done off-site so that the building's transformation happens in hushed reverence. But there is music. Every Levite is a skilled musician, and so they take shifts, pacing the workers with the beat of the songs, raising their voices together in praise. The Psalms of David ring in the air as the magnificent house he envisioned for his God rises from the ashes of plunder and neglect. Yahweh smiles as his people order the chaos. It is good. Suddenly, Hilkiah comes running out of the temple. He finds Shaphan and can barely catch his breath. I have found something. Shaphan looks at the priest's trembling hands. A book. Hilkiah doesn't wait for Shaphan to ask what it is. I have found the book of the law in Yahweh's temple. The what? Curled papyrus, the edges a mottled yellow and brown. Listen. Hilkiah steadies his fingers and pulls open the scroll. He reads, and Shaphan's eyes grow wide. At the palace, Shaphan reports on the project. Your servants have distributed the silver to those doing the work. The secretary bows, but Josiah notices he does not leave. Is there something else, Shaphan? The, um, priest, Hilkiah, has given me a a book. Shaphan begins to read. He reads passage after passage. Tears fall from King Josiah's eyes, but he does not let his secretary stop. Then Shaphan reads these words. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh, your God, Yahweh will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disaster and severe and lingering illnesses. Shaphan swallows. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. Yahweh will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. 
At this, Josiah cries out, tearing his clothing in lament, tears streaming from his eyes. Go, find Hilkiah the priest and inquire of Yahweh for me, for the people, for all Judah, about the words in this book that have been found. For great is Yahweh's wrath that is kindled against us because we, our ancestors, have not obeyed the words of this book. Shaphan hurries from the palace with a company of officials and finds the high priest. The king must hear from Yahweh, they tell him. What does he say? Hilkiah shakes his head gravely. This is not something I can do. We need the prophet. We must go to District 2. If the officials ask, is that where he lives? Hilkiah responds, she, that is where she lives. On the way, Hilkiah vouches, perhaps, for the woman who serves as a prophet to Judah. Huldah listens to Yahweh, he assures them, and she will give us his word. If they ask why they're not speaking with Jeremiah, maybe the high priest responds, She was here first. Jeremiah is her nephew. Finally, they arrive. They make their request, or perhaps Hulda already knows why they're there. She opens her mouth to speak, and the king's men listen, frozen in anticipation. This is what Yahweh, God of Israel, says. Say to the man who sent you to me, Yahweh says, I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. The men's pulses throb, sweat beads on their foreheads, and the king, what of young Josiah, will he say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of Yahweh? This is what Yahweh, God of Israel, says. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before Yahweh when you heard what I spoke against this place and its inhabitants, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have hurt you. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Silence, save for each man's heartbeat pounding in his ears. When Hilkiah and the officials return to the palace, the king is waiting. He listens as they relay the words of Yahweh spoken by the prophet. As soon as they finish, Josiah looks at his attendants, eyes wet and blazing, Gather the royal messengers. Shaphan, listen closely and write this down. 
Hey, Justin here. Thanks so much for listening to part one of The Regent and The Boy King. We will conclude with part two next time. This is the first episode of 2024, so hey, Happy New Year. I'm thrilled to let you know that there are some fantastic things in the works here at Hayes Fire Studios. I can't tell you about all of them quite yet, but here are two. First, we're looking to expand the team because I need help. We want Holy Ghost Stories to continue to exist, to keep bringing you into divine encounters by way of compelling storytelling and beautiful music. And we want Holy Ghost Stories to find its way into more ears and hearts. And so I'm looking, Lord willing, to make two hires this year. I have some extraordinary people in mind, and all we need is the budget. So if you would like to help enable this huge step in an exciting direction, you can make a tax-deductible gift one time or monthly at holyghoststories.org give. Whether it's you or your company or your church, whatever you give is enabling kingdom storytelling that's doing some beautiful things in the hearts of those who hear. I continue to be amazed at the way God uses Holy Ghost Stories to minister to believers and unbelievers alike. And because it's free, the only way it keeps happening is if we band together, pool our resources, and get it done as partners. So, come on, jump in with a worldwide tribe of incredible people who believe that the stories of Scripture can actually change hearts, because in them, we experience Him. HolyGhostStories.org slash give. Here's the second thing. Are you ready? We are planning our first ever Holy Ghost Stories live tour here in the United States this spring. We will bring a really special show to a handful of cities. I think you're going to love it, and I cannot wait to see you in person. I'll be sharing locations and some more exciting information about the tour very soon in the latest. That's the email I send every couple of weeks to the Holy Ghost Stories family. It's free, and if you're not subscribed, what are you doing? You should definitely jump in now so that you are the first to hear about the spring and a few other things that are cooking. You can sign up right now at Holy ghoststories.org or by following the link in the show notes. Finally, a shout out to the tours who are giving at the highest level on Patreon. I'm so grateful to Steve, Easton, Sean, Joey at Creation of Revelation, Ryan and Kelly, Miranda, Amanda, Carrie Joy, John, Joshua, David, Teresa, Daniel, Deborah, Terry, Rachel, Valerie, Travis, Steve, Shannon, Kara, Dawn, Jean-Paul, Brenda, Tiffany, Sarah Beth, Daniel, Stephanie, Helen, Hildy, Debbie, Susan, Rick, Stephanie, Derek, Mindy, Maddie, Joni, Jonathan, Ricky, Brandy, Mark, Kimmy, Stephen, Patrick, Liz, Stevens, Terry, Nelwyn, Julie, Aaron, Jamie, Bill and Trina, Jessica, Ken, Alyssa, Sloan, and Jamie. This partnership of ours, it is good. Holy Ghost Stories is a production of Hazefire Studios, manuscript editing by J.L. Gerhardt, research, writing, narration, and sound editing by me, Justin Gerhardt. Till next time. Mm-hmm.